Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports program from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Bridget Honeycliffe. In the program this week, we talk to one of the world's most successful sportsmen. The Australian rugby league legend Mal Meninga discusses the Auckland NRL Nines. We hear about how the country's gamblers have helped basketball New Zealand out to the tune of more than a million dollars. The Silver Ferns assistant coach assesses the side's first hit out of the year and New Zealander Jason McCracken discusses his appointment as tournament director for the Rio 2016 Olympic men's hockey event. The name Phil Taylor probably isn't well known in the world of sport, but he's a 16-time world champion and a millionaire. He is Phil the Power Taylor, English darts champion. The 54-year-old was in New Zealand recently for a series of exhibition events. Earlier this month, he finished runner-up in the latest world championship in London. He now has a career earnings of around £7 million or almost $15 million New Zealand dollars. Barry Guy caught up with Taylor and asked him how he got into the sport as a young lad in Stoke-on-Trent. It was always in our house when I was a kid, when I was a baby. I mean, there was no, no gas and electric in our house when I was a kid. I mean, it was, next door had electric, we didn't, you know. It's, we, had a, we had a cable through the wall. Um, so it was always, you know, indoor sports, no TV when I was a kid. So mum and dad always played games, you know, neighbours would come around. and I mean, the doors were never locked then, mainly because there was nothing to nick. You know what I mean? There was no nothing, no ornaments, no nothing. It was just a plain, simple house, you know. Um, and it's just something I've always been reared up with. And then when I was younger, I was good at it. But I tried everything I did, football, golf, boxing, I love boxing. I tried everything, but wasn't as good. Bodybuilding I went into, not as good. The dart I was natural at. So when did the point come where you think, oh, I'll oh, try and take the next step? Four, about 24, and I started playing. Because I mean, my wife then said, why don't you go outwards? I never went out, never went through the door. I was a keep fit fanatic then. And I used to be training every day, I'd be running every day, and I'd be weightlifting. You know, I never wanted to put any weight on, I was terrible. I was going to say, ask my mother, but she's not here, obviously. But um, then I started playing once a week in a local club with my dad, a C- what you call a CIU league in Burslem. Where Port Vale, right across the road from Port Vale Football Club was. And from that, I was asked them, will you come and play for us? Because I was good. And they just built into it. And then I got picked for County, then I got picked for England. And that's how it, but I was very quick. You know, I probably started 88, and by 1990, I was world number one and world champion. And then that year, I entered, I think, 50 competitions and won 48. So my money was, you know, I was on for like £70 a week wages and earning then only about 100 grand a year so 
So it's sure. always been big over there. I mean, we've seen in recent years the world champion. But in England, it's always Not as big been. as it is now. Never, it's never been as big as it is now. It's bigger now than it's ever been. And the prize money is... I mean, we get, we're now going to be doing £10 million a year prize money. I mean, it's unbelievable. And I think we'll go for that as well. You know, the way things are going. Yeah, you talked about it being sort of a working class sort of game, but well, it's... we are. We're, we're a game that anybody can play. Not everybody can be a rugby player. Not everybody can be a top golfer or a top cricketer or a top athlete. You know, you've got to, you've got to find your forte in life. And, and I think there's more people what aren't as fit as these people than there are what there are. So, you know, it's something that people fall into, you know. And if they enjoy it, why not? It's a social sport. It's a great way of making friends. You know, when, when you... A uh, young lad moved in my area and he said, you know, I'd love to make new friends. I said, yeah, come and join our dart team. So he joined, when I had the pub, he joined me dart team. Straight away he's got about 15 mates. And then you do all the local pubs in the area. Before you know it, within a season, he's got about 200 blokes he knows. So he's never lonely then. And the pub's pulling up a bit of money, gets people in the door? And well, the pub's then, I mean, no. You know, you get a little plastic trophy from the trophy shop and, you know, 50 quid or something. But people love the social side of it. You know, it was something to do on a Tuesday night, rather than just sit in a pub and having a drink, you know. The people went out and had a give it on. But it's become big now, I'm assuming television's the made community it. pubs are not. Right. They're not like the, the, the pubs you might see over here where it's meals and a sat and the are more community pubs, a bit, little bit like a Coronation Street. Oh, yeah. You know I mean? Yeah, your, your local community pub where... I mean, that was my pub. So my pub was, was, was full Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Friday and Saturday dealt with itself. And then Sunday was, was busy as well. Um, Monday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I got darts. I got about six, seven dart teams. I got football teams, used to play on the Saturday and Sunday. I got crib, crib teams, where they play cards, domino teams, pool teams, you know, you know the pool. So everything was based around enjoying the cell. So people come on a Monday and I'd have like pool matches in that room, I'd have dart matches in this room, and I'd have dart ball up there for ladies dart match. So my pub was full of people. I'd always put good food on. So it, 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 so when you're coming from another pub, you say to your wife, come on, we'll go fills, he puts good, you know, puts good food on there. So I'd look after him a little bit. Yeah, it's sort of the culture you make it, make it a, an enjoyable night. Yeah. That's the culture over there, though. It's sort of centred around the pub because it was a place for people to come together. It used to be. I mean, it's different now. I mean, the, the, the world's changed. It's not like it used to be. I mean, now it's... I don't never even go in pubs now because I don't like the atmospheres in there anymore. You know, the generations... There's not as much respect as what there used to be now. You know, landlord asks a youngster now, be quiet. It's F off. You know what I mean? It's still changed. You know, a lot of things are getting up the noses and whatnot. Where when I was younger... It was great. You know, you'd walk in there and on the dartboard would be all the names. So you'd have a JP, you'd like John Prince or something, and then you'd have all these names waiting to mark. And you'd say, put us a PT up. So you'd put Phil Taylor, PT. And then you'd, you'd wait till it was your turn, you'd mark the board and play the winner. And winner stayed on. And you'd have like 50, well, probably 30 or 40 names up there. Mm. So if you lost, you've got to wait about two hours, play again. It was great, it was good fun. And then when you're waiting for that, you were, you were in the card school or domino school, you know, try and get a game, because you used to put money in and have a game of cards. It was great. Pubs were community places. So what's it, what's it like for you now, the feeling you say you don't go to pubs now, but you, you're, you're at home practising and then you go to tournaments, are you? That's about my life, yeah. And when I'm at home now, I try... See, my mother's been very ill, so the last four or five months every spare time I've got I've tried to be with my mum like you know so I spent a lot of time with mum in fact I 
think now in the next 24 or 48 hours she's going to die like you know so that's a bit thingy for me um, and then I've got grandkids so I'll try and spend a bit of time with them I've got a couple holiday homes one in Tenerife and I've got a nice place near Blackpool like a big log cabin on a, on a holiday park and it's lovely so I take the kids up there at the weekends and swim with them and play badminton and all that business I love it so that's my life really is them you're saying your neighbour's Robbie Williams. Have you yeah. taught him to play darts? And he's I played darts with Rob. Yeah, he said that. Yeah, yeah, I wish he would. It's his writing. What's what's so good? He's brilliant. I mean, I stay with Rob. He's he's brilliant. I love Robert. And and his dad Peter is my second dad. You know, he he's he, he's my little Yoda. I call Peter Yoda because any problems I have, he's already had it. Do you know what I mean? So I'll, I'll give Peter. He he'll, he'll ring me. I'll say, Where are you? I said, I'm in Stoke this week. Come up. I'll get a bottle of wine, come on, let's get it sorted, do you know what I mean? What, what problems have we got this week? And I'll say, you never guess what's happened. Oh, I've been through that, you know. And you'll, we'll sit there for 10 or 12 hours having a chat. And I love him, like, you know, he's, he's, he's like my dad, he's like my second dad. So the grandkids, they appreciate the dads and what granddads They love do? it, yeah, yeah, yeah. They love the little bit of spills with them. I don't spoil them, I spoil them, but not that way. I don't keep buying them. I don't buy these consoles and things like that. I'll buy them a badminton racket or a cricket set or something like that. I won't go out and buy these toys what make them stay indoors. I don't like that. So I'll buy them swimming trunks or, you know, I'll say to Lisa, right, I'll pick them up on a Friday from school. It's an hour's drive up to... I don't know if you've heard of Blackpool. Lytham St. Anne's. It's near Lytham St. Anne's where they play the golf. So I drive up there. It's on a lovely place. And I love it. And we pass our best on to Phil Taylor. His mother has since passed away. Australian Rugby League legend Mal Meninga will again be a keen follower of the Auckland NRL Nines being held at the end of this month. Meninga wears many hats these days. He's an advisor for the Nines event and he coaches the Queensland State of Origin side and Papua New Guinea national team. The Nines are set to be another high-profile showpiece event and Meninga told Barry Guy what he thought of last year's inaugural tournament. You know, all the feedback from the Nines was extraordinarily good. Um, everyone loved it. The concept, um, obviously, the, the entertainment and the event itself, um, you know, was was a, was a fantastic experience for everybody. And the city of Auckland was, you know, um, up in, in lights. And you know, what a great what a great uh, start to what I think uh, a nines tournament can. You know, I think nines can be taken around the world and be our rugby league showpiece. And and nine, the number of players, you're happy that week well? Do you think? Yeah, I do. I, I I've played in the sevens and I've coached nines in a nines tournament before, and I'm. I was talking to Dino, you know, year before, you know, before the con- talking about the concept, and I just think two extra players on a on a footy field, on a rugby league field, you know, actually makes it more like rugby league. It, it's fair on the defensive qualities of players, and that's what our game is probably distinguishable to other sports. Is that you know, defensively, um, we've got some outstanding qualities. So I mean, it's actually two more extra players on the field brings defence in the game. I think it's a fair and a better fair and, and even contest then. So this competition coming up, do you see uh, the way that it's played or the way that the players handle it uh, changing slightly from last year? Oh, well, everyone will improve on it. Um, I think, um, you know, I mean, it was just test and see last year. I mean, I think just looking at the game and I think a lot of coaches now understand that you don't really have to change any strategies or tactics. It's very similar to, you know, a game of 13, really, with nine players on the footy field. So um, you've still got to you know, gain momentum, get a quick play of the ball and for, for your, your outside men to, 
to take advantage of that. And a bit like the sevens, where you, you know, in the rugby sevens, where you, you know, the ruck and more, you've got to control the ruck area before you, can, you know, expose um, holes out wide. So, you know, it's, it's very similar to the nines, is very similar strategy wise to 13s. Now, did I see Ken Nagus? Is he coming to play again? <laughs> yeah, 40, 42, I think, mean, Kenny, but he's fit as a Phillies. He still plays a bit of you know backyard footy in, in Canberra, so I mean he's kept himself you know extraordinarily fit, and you know <laughs> he'll surprise. He'll be a surprise packet. I mean people people you know obviously oh what are you forty two? You're joking. What's he doing playing against young men? But um, he'll hold his own. Don't worry. And what about Queensland um, after last season and looking ahead to the new season? What uh, how's your planning for oh. that going? Yeah, no, it's all going great. We're over here at the moment. Um, we're going through our emerging squad, so our fringe players, our ex- next echelon of players, have uh, been taken through the paces last weekend and this weekend as well. You know, so I mean, we've got some great depth at the moment. Um, yeah, we didn't win the series last year, but uh, that hasn't um, curtailed our enthusiasm or optimism and positivity about next year. You know, so we're actually in, coming over to New Zealand um, because we know we've got so many Maroon supporters over there. You know, particularly through Origin. Period. So, you know, we're over there doing a membership drive along with all the other clubs. So, you know, all those Queensland supporters, um, you know, there's some membership opportunities uh, to be part of the Maroon, the Maroons, as they call it. So, I mean, um, you know, please, please get on the, online and, you know, become a Maroon member. Now, I know the Australians uh, sort of had changed a few things last year, but can we take too much from that Four Nations uh, result with the Kiwis doing so well? I think it, I think it, it adds that again that positivity to to our international uh, game. You know, um, it, it certainly you know with the, with the Kiwis winning, um, you know, Tonga Samoa doing so so well through the series was was fantastic for international rugby league. And obviously the poor old poor old Pommies are still sort of lagging there. You know, so but you know they're getting better and better and better. From a, an Aussie point of view, I guess you know we didn't have our best players playing in that competition. Um, but will those players be playing? In the 2017 World Cup, well, we don't know. So the team that actually played in the Four Nations could be our 2017 World Cup side. So, I mean, uh, the Kiwis are right up there, definitely. Mal Meninga, last year the Warriors were beaten by eventual winners North Queensland in the semi-finals. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Bridget Tunnicliffe. The country's gamblers have helped Basketball New Zealand out to the tune of more than a million dollars, thanks to betting largely on the US NBA competition. The TAB handed over the money in commission payments for 2014 as part of its deal to share profit with the sports it takes bets on. The $1.098 million is more than five times the cash basketball got in the last round of high-performance sport New Zealand funding for the Tall Blacks Rio Olympics campaign. Chief Executive Ian Potter told Richard Wayne it's a byproduct of how popular basketball is. Most of the wagering that takes place is on the, you know, the US NBA, but that just sort of reflects what you said really, the global popularity of basketball as a sport. It's no different in New Zealand in that it's, except that here it's probably more of a recent phenomenon in the last sort of 20 odd years rather than New Zealand being steeped in basketball history. Uh, is it somewhat ironic that high-performance sport New Zealand, uh, I believe they only came to the party in December, forgive me if I'm wrong, is that right the first time you got some high-performance funding from them? Oh, we got a, we, no, we did get a little bit of assistance. We got 150,000 assistance in 2014, but 
Um, at the end of the year, they announced the two-year support package for us at $200,000 a year, which we're you know very grateful for. Um, but back in 2013, yeah, we were we were on we were outside the tent. I guess it sort of reflects those funding parameters, doesn't it? Where if you're not going to be in the top whatever ten or something, you know, in the top nations, you don't get much money for the essentially the Olympic you know angle, despite the the hugeness of the sport. That's right. They're quite honest and upfront about it. They say they're in the business of medals, and you have to demonstrate that you have some possibility of being uh, a medal prospect at some stage. And it makes it hard for basketball, it makes it hard for, for a number of other sports where it's really hard to you know, get yourself into that position. But fortuitously for us, we have a really growing level of interest. You know, you see that through this, the, the TAB news. There's a lot of interest in basketball as a sport. And it'll just take a few more years before that interest, I think, reaches a point where we are you know, more regularly competing in that top 10 ourselves which we, are, we, we believe we're quite capable of. Oh, absolutely. There's no doubt the talent's there, isn't there? On both sides of the you know, men's and women's, I'm sure. Yeah, we've got some brilliant young... You know, we've got a lot of under... A lot of our talent is under 25. It's even... A lot of it's in its teenage years, but we've got a lot of talent that's under 25, which means we've... Hopefully, we've got a stellar decade in front of us. Yeah, a few more Stephen Adams and, and so on. I guess the, the likes of, of, of Mr. Adams uh, has helped out with this TAB you know, side of it, with, the, with raising the profile, the casual punter paying more attention perhaps. Oh, it would have to. Like, he really underlines the interest you know, and, and, and focuses attention. But, and he's focused a lot of attention, obviously, on the NBA, which is where a lot of that betting is happening. So yeah, he, he's been a boon to us, and, and you know, hopefully there'll be two or three more like him in the next few years. The fact that you're getting five times the amount of money from sports gambling as opposed to, you know, the, the government funding agency, does that strike you as, you know, I mean, is that a little ironic or, or something? <laughs> well, it's interesting, isn't it? But I guess we're lucky on the, on the sports gambling side. You know, ideally we don't want to be entirely dependent on any single source for our income. We have to regard the gambling revenue as, as almost like a bonus for us, which it is, and a tremendous bonus that underpins pretty much everything we're doing, a lot of things we're doing in basketball. On the other hand, you know, it's really helpful to be able to get some taxpayer-funded support through high-performance sport and also Sport New Zealand. So it does make the business easier, having those income streams. You know, one could argue that we should be able to stand on our own two feet and, and, and hopefully one day we'll be able to. I suppose rugby and league would be the examples in this country and probably to a lesser degree netball with uh, obviously sponsorship but also the TV rights, isn't it? So would it be a case yeah. of getting the national competition up to something approaching um, you know, like NPC level in rugby or something like that in terms of you know, getting a deal on TV and, and, and TV rights money and, and that sort of thing? I mean, what would it be? That's really where the dough is. Like, it's all connected to the media world. And, of course, as, as you'd be aware, working in the media environment, it's a fast-changing environment but you've got to be a property that the media are interested in and it puts you in, in front of the public all the time you know then the media becomes willing to pay you for the games pay you for the rights to in our case our NBL or pay for the rights for the tall blacks and tall ferns that's the first leg and the second leg of that double is that uh, to use a gambling analogy is that then sponsors, of course, sponsors reap the rewards of being associated with your sport because you're regularly in the media and your sponsorship value goes up. And that's what you see with the likes of rugby league and, and cricket and netball and rugby. Ian Potter says the Commission provides much-needed funding, in particular for a number of community and development programmes. 
The New Zealand netballers kicked off their build-up to the World Cup by wrapping up the Oceania Tri-Series in Suva this week with predictable ease, trouncing Fiji 76-34. to It followed their 81-28 win over the hosts earlier in the week and 89-23 demolition of Samoa. After a difficult 2014 in which they lost their Commonwealth Games title to Australia and failed to beat their arch-rivals in five encounters, the Silver Ferns are determined to turn things around. The assistant coach Vicky Wilson, a former Australian captain, told me they achieved what they set out for the series. What we set out to achieve was to expose all four goalers and we were pleased with what they were able to uh, put out, you know, they've got individual tasks they're working on to add to their to their repertoire. Very pleased to see Bailey Mez coming through uh, with her the three quarters that she played last night, and uh, her shooting percentage was uh, was you know was was very good. I thought uh, she provided a great deal of variety in the circle. Uh, Ellen Hellpenny did did the same thing. And uh, it was wonderful to get Maria back out there uh, after such a long um, absence. And also, you know, Jody running, Jody Brown being able to run out the front at, at goal attacks. So we were able to try a number of different combinations, but individually they had their tasks they were working on. And, and we, we were pleased with that because we were still able to, you know, maintain that conditioning focus that, that the girls have been working on and uh, plus get those three games under their belt. Do you think Bailey has a potential to become a real strike weapon for New Zealand, given her athleticism is obviously a huge bonus? Oh, without a doubt. Uh, she's, she certainly has uh, the athletic ability to provide a, a solid anchor at the back. She's able to mix it up in the circle. She can hold strongly. She can contest the aerial ball. She can change the... Her body angle, she can stop on a five-cent piece and change direction again. She can come out of the circle. Uh, and she's been working hard on her technique, uh, her shooting technique, and that, that will come with, you know, with, with a lot of work, and she's prepared to do it, and she's really fortunate. She's got a, a shooting specialist coach with her this year down at the uh, Canterbury Tactics. So Sue Hawkins is is very pleased to, uh, with Bailey's progress to date. And uh, it was just wonderful to see her just uh, getting that rhythm back back in a shot. So the more exposure we can give not only Bailey, but all, but everyone, is, um, it just is, is good for us by the time we get to World Cup. In the past, it was almost guaranteed that Van Dijk to Tyre would be in the shooting end. Now it's a lot less obvious. Do you think there is some real competition within the shooting end now? Well, that was the aim of the of the last eighteen months was to, to build build the depth of the entire Silver Fern squad, and hence why people have been you know been brought into the squad. They've been tested. Um, the challenge of the conditioning focus, um, the, the depth is important. The depth is what pushes players to to that next level. And I know the girls have spoken a lot about at the conditioning camp and doing that work together. It's uh, that type of work, you know, makes them work even harder. And then when you've got someone yapping at your heels, makes you, you well, know, it ensures that you just, every time you step out to train, you train that little bit harder. And 
and competition is good. It's good for the ferns, and that's what what we need to ensure that we get the the best team representing New Zealand at the World Cup. Fitness and conditioning was the main prerequisite for selection for this series. Come the next time the team is selected again after a round of trials, will that be the same prerequisite or do you have to take other things into account? I think you'll have to be taking other things into account without a doubt. Certainly form on on the board throughout ANZ, but there'll still be an element of conditioning in, in there because if you aren't in great shape and you haven't got the the big motor to be able to run, you're not going to be to last the distance. And that that's the difference between ANZ games and playing your pinnacle events like Commonwealth Games and World Championships. We have a number of games uh, consecutively, and I think it's seven, seven at World Cups. So you, you've got to be in great shape to be able to do that. You have to have done the work in this pre-season and maintained it throughout the ANZ and if you, you slip away then you you run the risk of, of losing your place or not getting in in the team for the World Cup. Could you sense a real determination in the side when they came back after the break uh, a t- determination to turn things around? Without a doubt uh, you know lo- losing hurts losing hurts everyone and it makes you you know scratch your head and you you think of why or, you know, if this would have happened, maybe if we had done this or, you know, if everyone would have been fit and healthy, but if we would have done this six months ago or 12 months ago. So it makes you more determined. So they know the only pinnacle event this year is that World Cup. And it only comes around once every four years and not too many women get to, to go to a World Cup to represent New Zealand. So it's a very, very prestigious event in the netball calendar so to be able to you know have a crack at the the top countries and to get into the final and the opportunity to win gold I think that's that's what's driving everyone at the moment. Silver Ferns assistant coach Vicky Wilson the netball world cups being held in Sydney in August. New Zealander Jason McCracken has been appointed tournament director for the Rio 2016 Olympic Men's Hockey Tournament. It's the first time a Kiwi has held such a position. McCracken, who is now a member of the Hockey New Zealand board, says it's a great honour. Getting to run um, a sport at any level is is pretty exciting, but the Olympics is something unique and um, I've been lucky enough to, to be involved now in, in three other Olympics. So I was a, used to be a referee. Um, for, for two Olympic Games in Sydney and Athens and then uh, in London I was the assistant tournament director so I suppose like like anyone getting involved um, in sport or business when you get to the, the top it's a great thrill What qualities have made you um, uh, suitable for this position? Um, it's interesting most uh, most tournament directors around the world are, are, are lawyers um, I'm not a lawyer I work in, uh, in banking and insurance but um, I, I think the key thing people are looking for um, is they're looking for people who are um, good communicators uh, who can be fair uh, and just uh, and make sure that the the games and the matches are followed as per the regulations um, any any discrepancies are, are dealt with does being a New Zealander add anything to that? Look, I think it does. Um, interesting enough, the, the women's tournament director is a, a South African lady, um, and we worked together at the, and we worked together at the, the World Cup. I, I think um, 
that level of sort of independence. Um, um, uh, you know, recently we've we've got a seat uh, in, in Security Council, and I, I think that sometimes New Zealanders do are seen as um, uh, you know as unbiased and and as as fair in these types of roles. So, what what is your role in Rio? Um, so, as tournament director, I'm ultimately responsible for for running the event. So, um, that is a, pretty much a management role. I've got some uh, 60 uh, officials that work with me. Um, we have obviously our umpiring team. We have our, um, our judges and match officials. We have our medical team for observing any doping or irregularities. Um, we've got our, our media liaison people. We've got to athlete health and safety, transport, all those types of matters. But ultimately, it's to making sure that the right team, uh, uh, the best, the very best team, wins the Olympic gold medal, uh, and they do it in a spirit and a manner which is according to the regulations. Have you? Uh, do you know much about Rio, and if there are any uh, particular hurdles you might have to overcome? I think the biggest challenge for for us as a sport is that that Rio's, uh, I mean, Brazil's not a hockey country. So um, I think you know London, uh, the the Olympics there was extremely well run because the you know the, the English uh, Hockey Federation very very capable. Likewise in Holland uh, at the champion at the sorry at the World Cup, um, very experienced the KNHB at running tournaments. Um, so look, there's not a lot of infrastructure there. We need to build uh, facilities, turfs. Um, work very closely with the um, IAC team and the Brazilian hockey guys um, to help them, you know, educate them on how, how to run a, a world-class event. Uh, we actually have a test event next year, uh, sorry, this year in, in November. I'm heading up, uh, up to Brazil for that. Um, and we'll actually test out facilities, watering lights, all that type of thing, um, prior, prior to uh, August 2016. Just moving aside a little, I uh, don't know whether you can comment as someone you know, uh, reasonably independent, but New Zealand hockey performs well, um, but perhaps just hasn't got over that, uh, that next hurdle of getting into the medal, so to speak, and, and, and on to the podium. Do you have any thoughts there of how the game's going here? Yeah, look, I think um, New Zealand hockey is an excellent, an excellent spirit. Um, particularly, I suppose, particularly our women's team, um, ranked number four from the world. They came fourth at the World Cup. They were incredibly unlucky um, not to be in the medal hunt. Um, I'm confident that we're going to see we're going to see medals in the next um, the next two or three major competitions for both the men and the women. Um, we've got fantastic coaching staff uh, in New Zealand, and you know very very well-run professional bodies. So um, I think it's a matter of timing. Um, uh, you know we are we are competing against um, in some in some cases professional athletes. So in, in New Zealand, it's still an amateur code. Um, and, and hockey is becoming more professional. And I think if you look up into India right now, the uh, the India Hockey League is just about to start. Um, six franchise professional teams are running up there. We've got five New Zealand, six New Zealand men playing in those competitions. So, um, you know, we're well recognised in terms of, of, of how we're going. So I think it's a matter of time, um, and I don't think that time's far away. Jason McCracken talking to Barry Guy. That's the show for this week. Remember, you can contact us at sport at radionewzealand.co.nz and you can get the latest sports news anytime on our website. We'll be back next week with another edition of Extra Time. Bye for now.
Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.